Kia everyone. I'm Emily Pat Dahlstrom from SpaceBase, a social enterprise focused on catalyzing the space entrepreneurial ecosystem in New Zealand to solve challenges on Earth and beyond. You're listening to the SpaceBase podcast. Today, I'm interviewing Peter Todd, CEO of Extraterrestrial Power. Peter was originally from Hungary and did his master's in computer science from the Budapest University of Technology and Economics. Although he diverged from becoming a computer scientist, he has worked on embedded devices such as marine VHF, digital satellite news gathering units for Ericsson, or other cupboard-sized computers for NDAs. At university, he also branched out to producing silicon solar cells in the lab, which quickly grasped his imagination and developed his passion towards green technologies, solar wind, and electric vehicles. This became the inspiration for making solar cells out of moon soil which led to extraterrestrial power. In this interview, we're going to ask him more about his career path, his fascination with space, and his current startup. Peter, welcome. Let's start first with your fascination with sci-fi and spaceships and new sources of infinite energy. So, so why space? Uh, was there a pivotal moment when you knew it was a career path for you? You know, I was, I was thinking about it a lot when a lot of people asked me this question and I just couldn't pinpoint an exact location in time. So I was born way after Apollo was launched. Uh, you know, space shuttle was flying by the time. It was routine by the time. Well, obviously, when we had the ability to watch space shuttle or anything. But it was sort of slowly building up. I was, I was always fascinated about, about uh, sci-fi cartoons and cartoons that showed the future so i think i'm i just got stuck in this future <laughs> state and at some point what one one of the pivotal moments thinking about aerospace a lot when in 1997 my dad bought me a magazine a hungarian local magazine about aircraft name was top gun mm. so and from that onwards it just i just latched onto it I was like, okay, every month when it's out, I'm buying it at the shop. And then my dad was into probably my, one of my favorite uh, writers, Asimov, Isaac Asimov. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that one boring vacation, I started reading a lot. And I started reading a lot about Asimov. And then in the next half a year, I've just finished all of his uh, books that I could grab get my hands on to. So maybe, maybe at, at that point, I knew that there is something, something going on with space. But at that point, I didn't figure out how is me and space going to be joining at one point in the future. Mm. And so did you have any inspirational persons that kind of like help you along the way? I mean, you talked about your dad earlier, but at the same time, did you have you know, either teachers or mentors that also kind of egged you on to uh, really pursuing this? Um, I don't think that there was anyone specific. After a while, it's uh, it was internet itself that, that I've started looking at people and started looking at who to follow in this space and, and who is giving me good feelings and and good feelings about the future and what's going to happen in the future. So... 
yeah, I'm, right now I'm just listening to so many people on the internet, like who are leaders in, in space. Yeah. So then going back to your earlier years, once you, you've gotten that interest, can you basically tell us a little bit more about your journey from that initial fascination and interest? to you know how 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 did you actually um go through your career path of getting to where you are today um it's interesting i think i early on developed sort of affinity for computers uh pun intended whoever understands the joke and and this computer thing was i latched onto it and then sort of without thinking i'm just going through all the way through university, getting an MSc, getting into work, uh, going through my steps in the career. And then, only then, I really started thinking of like, what do I actually want to do? Am I, am I reaching some kind of end to my career or, or shall I be changing paths? And it's, yeah, it's, I didn't do the thinking early enough, which I, regret a bit to be honest and even on in uni i was thinking about wait a minute but physics is more interesting for me than math maybe i should choose something else but then i was deeply into into doing my degree getting a job starting a life so at that point in time it wasn't feasible enough so it's only i'm i'm sort of a late boomer or bloomer that's interesting and in terms of your educational experience what do you think were like the important elements that was beneficial for your current space projects and and endeavors today what is it that kind of like you think really helped you a lot in terms of those either courses or educational uh, endeavors earlier on so being a, a computer scientist is just a huge plus so wherever you go today, computer science is going to be helpful, whether it's new materials discovery, whether it's putting together a robot, you want computer science to be in, in that box. So as much as physics would be helpful for the actual physical things, computer science is just everywhere. You cannot avoid it. And then there was one more thing is uh, my roommate in the dormitory was uh, a teacher in this class called solar cells and so i was like hmm that's an interesting thing maybe i should try that and it was a it was a hands-on class so we we went through the all the theory but then we went to the lab and okay this is the solar cell we made and so that was very very interesting and this is where this is where the idea and and the the understanding of solar cells are coming from and in principle solar cells are quite simple devices they are much simpler than anything semiconductor anything other semiconductor related it doesn't matter if it's a bit if, if the silicon material is a bit dodgy you can't make a, a cpu out of it but you can easily make a solar cell out of it so that that was really important and yeah, simplified a whole lot in my mind of what solar cells are. Of course, reaching high efficiencies, now that's an art. 
that's hmm. an art and a science together it's that's very difficult and and maybe just to to expound on that more where do you see yeah solar energy today and and where do you see it five or ten years from now the, the way that the technology is is definitely expanding and developing so i think there are two ways to go about it one is how is solar how solar cells are going to change on earth which is what we know pretty much now the the solar cell industry started to be made so putting i think in the hundreds of gigawatts um, a year of solar cells this is going to get installed solar cells are really important in my opinion but still the output the manufacturing capability of solar cells is still not enough to to transform us to a fully renewable future at least not fast enough but then and so the efficiencies are going to stay similar for a long time it's only going to be crawling speed where efficiencies are going to grow mm. prices prices are also going to be crawling it's barely dropping i think in the next 10 years it's possible to drop like half but probably but not an order of magnitude in space on the other hand and if we start talking about the moon and places like that well solar cells are almost non-existent on the moon right now so they are going to start prices of solar cells on the moon is going to start dropping a lot and the amount of electricity that we can start generating on the moon is going to explode i think maybe five ten years from now it's going still going to be the beginning of this explosion but once we have all the pieces of the puzzle together it's just going to grow so you you talked about this really this enormous opportunity for space can you then connect this to extraterrestrial power which is uh, the company that you started and how you're going about uh, leveraging this technology for for future settlements in space yeah so it's um, the goal of extraterrestrial power is to make an electricity on the moon cheaper than on earth now in order to get there we have to jump through a few hoops there there is a lot at stake here automated manufacturing of, of solar cells on the moon there are a lot of difficult things along the path we think that if we want to become a multiplanetary species like elon musk uh, always likes to say we need to have electricity electricity is the enabling technology to to stay in space to get to space we need rockets to stay in space we need electricity with electricity we can heat we can cool we can generate or make one material from another it is an absolute requirement for anything that we want to do in space and the amount of electricity we have available in space is just nothing almost nothing it's any any time nasa sends a, a rover to the uh, to mars for example if i remember correctly they are generating about 200 watts of power and the highest the peak power usage of curiosity rover is somewhere in like 500 watts that's enough for a rover that's enough for a scientific instruments uh, for a scientific instrument if you the moment you introduce humans 
or anything industrial, you immediately need electricity in the megawatt scale. Mm. And how do, we, how do we scale to the megawatts? Are we going to send all of these really, really expensive solar cells up to, up to the moon, up to Mars? Or we figure something else out? So we are in the phase of figuring something else out. <laughs> and uh, on the long term, do you think that the, the technology that you're going to be using to generate that energy in space, would that also be something that can be leveraged to solve Earth's energy problems? Definitely. The moment, the moment you have solar cells on the moon from local resources, there is nothing stopping you from thinking about how to export this electricity to Earth. And then there are multiple ways to go around that. It's probably still a bit in the sci-fi era, so I don't mm -hmm. think that's um, going to be anywhere close in the next 10 years, maybe in the 20 years period. Mm. We could either do it, if we have it in large scale enough, we could do it directly from the moon. If we have it small scale, maybe we could launch those solar cells off Earth, uh, sorry, off the moon to Earth orbit and do some kind of uh, solar-powered satellite, or SpaceX is going to disrupt the whole um, industry, cheap and frequent launches. So yeah, it's, it's difficult to say at this point. There are a lot of variables, and, and I think SpaceX is the wild card. Yeah, and then just to clarify, so essentially in terms of extraterrestrial power, what you want is to make and create solar cells out of basically lunar soil, right? Yeah, that is exactly right. So uh, with solar cells, uh, one key thing uh, is energy payback time of how much electricity you put into making a certain size solar cell, a watt of solar cell, how much electricity did you put in? The moment you bring a solar cell to the moon, you need to account for your energy of launching from Earth and landing on the surface of the moon. So there is sort of a, a boundary limit. You cannot go below a certain energy. So it's really, but the moment you start doing something from in situ resources and, and resources that are available to you, and you can figure out how to make things easily and cheaply, then you've changed the economics by a long shot. Right. No, for sure. So you're definitely looking at the long-term sustainability of space exploration and, and settlements, of which most of the average person today normally either would think that it's still science fiction or it's like, you know, 50 to a hundred years from, from now. So what are your normal challenges when you talk about uh, this kind of like types of initiatives to just like the, the, you know, the regular person in New Zealand um, and, and, and how do you go about it? Well, it's, you just have to start from the beginning and explain that there is a lot happening in space. And a lot of people are saying that there were ups and downs of space exploration, but it was always primarily driven by government actors, especially NASA or the Russians, Cold War era. It was 
quite difficult to predict anything. But in today's space, uh, there are commercial actors. There are, I, I, I have probably run out of fingers if I would need to count how many commercial companies are actually making lunar landers. And those lunar landers are going to land very soon. So this year, there were three attempts to land on the moon. Only one successful so far. Uh, it was the Chinese were successful in early January. Israel was unsuccessful. But they, they will try again in a few years. And India, which is another uh, government, was unsuccessful as well. So in the next few years, there is going to be a lot more attempts. And in, uh, I don't know, four years, maybe SpaceX is going to land. And the moment they can put 100 tons of cargo on the surface of the moon, mm. then we are in the beginning of something, something really interesting. If someone can routinely bring 100 tons of cargo to the surface of the moon, that's amazing. You can bring habitats, you can bring humans by the dozens for holiday on the moon. Yeah, and, and what do you think is the timeline for this? I don't know, it's, it's very hard to say. I'm, you know, whatever you know publicly about SpaceX, and I'm, yeah. I'm always talking about SpaceX because they are the wild card. They, I think they are going to be the first to put humans back to the moon. This is a guess, I don't know whether it's in yeah. Elon time or what, what sort of timeline <laughs> is that, but I think they are going to do it. It's, uh, there is such a determination to make that happen. Yeah. I think middle of the next decade, I expect that there'll be humans on the moon. Someone is going to do it. Either SpaceX, either NASA. To be honest, I don't mind. It's, it's going to be huge either way. Right. So going back to extraterrestrial power, um, can you tell us more about you know, who's on your team and you know, what are you focused on right now in terms of uh, your short-term goals? So the short-term goals are improving up on our solar cell and making it efficient enough so that we can take it to the moon, manufacture in lunar conditions, and just go on from there. So on our team, there are three people. So there is Bobette, who is our chief customer experience officer, and, and she's responsible for a lot of, uh, a lot of the business uh, right now. Uh, we have Professor Gavin Conibeer on the, on the team, and he's a professor of solar cells. So I think he's just amazing. And the, the moment we f uh, first ever talked, we were just so interested in space. Both of us were like talking for hours and hours mm. and then. And then there is me. And if it's, uh, if it's learning something new, doing a bit of mechanical engineering, if I have to learn it, so be it. But um, it needs to be done. And what are your biggest challenges right now? The biggest challenges is still people believing in us mm. and, and believing that believing that what we are talking about is going to happen and in the time frame that we are we are saying and and that comes with a with a lot of hoops so it's um early enough company how to go about it it's it's still difficult funding is still difficult for lunar prospects yeah well we're definitely excited to see you know where you'll be in the next year or so 
because this is certainly a, a very, very interesting, you know, it's a long-term play, but has really huge impact as well. So I'm going to shift uh, questions back to kind of like your recommendations for people to help, you know, space interested people who are not in the industry and like how they can potentially get involved as well. So, so yeah, like what would you recommend someone who is really interested in, in space, but still doesn't know the first step to understanding what they could potentially do in the space industry? The space industry is growing. So there is a lot of opportunities in the space industry and, and a lot of publicity is going towards not just engineers in the space industry. So by now you can you can think of people with marketing at Rocket Lab or mm-hmm. places that you didn't think it was even even possible. Uh, as as companies mature, these roles are are opening up more and more. You can get you can learn a lot of fields to get involved in space. Engineering is quite obvious. Mm-hmm. Software hardware, aerospace engineering, rockets, it's all in there, to be honest. And right now, I think uh, someone's, uh, a few people are tracking how many space companies or rocket companies are there around the world. And I think the counter is at 140 right now. So 140 companies that want to get to orbit. Right. Which is a, so even if you just want, want to be a rocket propulsion engineer, I think there are a lot of spaces to go to. In, in, and in particular in New Zealand, do you have any recommendations on, let's say, educational degrees, courses or programs or, or even just you know, resources that you know of that would be helpful for anybody interested? So there are two universities which are really actively involved with with rocketry. So I think there is a rocketry association in New Zealand. So there are homemade rockets, uh, people people can build and then launch it. Rockets propelled by sugar or things like that. And if you want to take it seriously, University of Canterbury has a professor who is teaching rocketry, Chris Han. Yes. yes. Uh, so Chris Han is, he, he's very famous for I think like 20 of his graduates ended up working at Rocket Lab. Mm-hmm. And then in University of Auckland, there are other opportunities, not, not in the rocketry space, but building satellites. Yeah. Like Professor John Cater and, and his team around. Yeah, I've, I've got the privilege to see their lab. So it's, a, it's quite interesting. As an undergraduate or graduate student, building a satellite is just awesome. Mm-hmm. It's, um, but I think New Zealand universities have, have to grow a lot into space arena. And there is something going on with Rocket Lab and the University of Auckland building a, a space studies institute. I don't know much about it. I think you are thinking about the Space Institute at University of Auckland. Fairly new. Uh, it's also uh, focusing definitely on satellites. Do you have a favorite book or a space resource that you use? Or even uh, are there people that you follow that you think would be good for others to know about? So I think the favorite uh, writer, I think I already talked about Isaac Asimov. Mm -hmm. So Asimov is great. And even as just an entertainment, 
for reading about reading his books. He was the writer where if you are careful, then by the end of it, by the end of the book, before he reveals everything, you will know it yourself if you, <laughs> if you were careful enough. So I, I love that in his um, in his books. The other is the the culture series, which I which I really love from Ian Banks. And otherwise, I think Twitter is uh -huh. just a, a great place to to start following interesting people. It's sort of a personalized news uh, device, and if you just focus on people who are deep into deep into space, there are a lot of NASA people, um, SpaceX, Rocket Lab. You would all this information is just going to flow towards you, and without without distractions it's not going to be like you open a newspaper and there is only one news about space and everything else is going to be something else so you can get behind the scenes of what's going on probably one person who i would really recommend is dr phil metzger in the university of central florida uh, i think his twitter handle is dr phil phil uh, with double l at the at the end he tries to use twitter as an educational tool and he was very often expresses his opinions and and the physics behind a lot of things in a very clear manner in like uh, long twitter discussions and you know he works for university of central florida nasa there are just so many so many things happening all the time with him and he he explains it and he had the privilege to talk to Apollo astronauts during his tenure at the university and NASA. So he, he has a lot to say, I think. No, that's great. Before we close, do you have any other general recommendations for space institutions, in particular in New Zealand? Just keep up. It's, um, uh, I think space industry in New Zealand is still in its infancy. There are no gigantic players in New Zealand space industry apart from Rocket Lab. So a lot of companies are going to grow quickly, I think, out of that. And, and, and so the ecosystem is building. Rocket Lab is spurring a lot of innovation, government activities around space. So I think it's going to, it's going to change. It's still hard to get into New Zealand space industry, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but it should change in, in the coming years. Yeah, well, we're definitely uh, looking forward to, to how this industry evolves and you being part of, of that community already as well. So, yeah, thanks, Peter, for uh, sharing your thoughts and insight to the New Zealand community. And to the audience, thank you, everyone, for listening. If you like space-based work and would like to support us, please check us out on spacebase.co. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Mm -hmm.